Hey guys, um, episode 13 on Friday, December 10th, so hopefully I'm not jinxing myself by doing my 13th episode on a Friday. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since uh, last done the podcast. Last one was with my friend Derek over on Thanksgiving, and <clears throat> literally the following week I came down with a cold. Um, Snipples, stuffy nose, a little bit of a sore throat for a day. I uh, lingered for, I don't know, three or four days. Still having a little bit of snot going on, but in a runny nose, but nothing too bad. I also kind of contribute that to the weather because cold weather when I'm outside always makes my nose run for some reason. But who knows? It could have been coronavirus, uh, Omicron variant. I have no idea, and I don't really care. Um, I think, like I said, with most people, um, when they do come down with a virus, they, you know, don't feel very good for a few days and then they start slowly getting better. And obviously there's people out there that, you know, aren't in the best of health. So their immune systems are compromised with other things they're trying to deal with. And that's why every year there's people dying of viruses, no matter what they are. Um, whether it be a COVID related virus um, or a flu, a flu that turns into pneumonia, things like that. Most people who are immune compromised because they have diabetes or overweight or cancer or you name it, it can hit somebody differently and you know it can really greatly affect them. So topics today, um, from the last podcast, we were talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and I was talking about guns and how everybody needs to have guns. And I kind of want to clarify that a bit because I, I have an overall opinion about it and kind of like a, a philosophy behind it that I, I think a lot of people would push back on and think that I'm crazy, but hear me out. If everybody, so my, my overall philosophy behind it is that if you knew if if everybody in our country was armed with a firearm and theoretically they uh, knew um, proper usage storage things of that nature which we don't we have an issue with that then I think we'd be better off I think crime would be way down because of a, a criminal who wants to rob your house or, um, you know, the stories of a, a jogger um, jogging around the park and getting, you know, raped or, or beaten or uh, robbed. If everybody knew, if every criminal knew that their potential victims were going to be armed and they're going to be trained on how to use that firearm, they would think twice about doing so. And I think really is the best protection from day to day. Now, me, myself, I don't carry firearms with me. Um, I always keep them stored unless I'm like target shooting or things of that nature. But you know, it's it's one of those things that the more you surround yourself in these 
devices. Uh, I like. I think I, I look at everything as a tool because everything has a has a a use to it, and um. But that's just kind of how I look at. It. I don't look at it as like a dangerous weapon. It is a dangerous weapon, but it, it's a tool. Um. So that's kind of my basic philosophy on it. It's just not that I I, I think that people should be gun-toting everywhere they go, but uh, in your home, protecting your home, um, absolutely. I think you should have a firearm because, you know, they could take the police a long time to get to your house, and a lot of damage can be done uh, in that time. You know, and case in point, one of, well, three things. The whole Alec Baldwin thing, I watched that little 20 or that, that thing with George Stephanopoulos, because I was just curious. I heard he said that he didn't pull the trigger, so I watched the whole interview. And, you know, I, I think he's full of shit, to be honest. Um, and, and that's kind of backs up my philosophy a bit, I think, because Alec Baldwin is a very um, political person. Um, for Christ's sake, he did, what, four years of Trump impersonations on SNL. He you know, talk shit about all different kinds of things politically. And, you know, he has said a lot of different things about gun and guns and gun ownership and gun rights and gun laws. And here's the problem. He doesn't know anything about them, obviously, or else he wouldn't have accidentally killed somebody. I, I believe him that was completely accidental. I believe that, you know, he didn't know that there was a live round in the, uh, in the gun, but nonetheless, you know, if he had experience with guns, my opinion is it would have lessened the chances statistically of that ever happening, where statistically on movie sets, you know, it's only happened a handful of times, um, but it still happened. Now, he said he doesn't pull the trigger. So, single action revolver, that is, uh, first of all, the gun was a newer gun that was engineered and manufactured to look like an old uh, antique gun from like the 1800s. Now, if anybody's ever seen a Western movie ever, which I know anybody listening to this has seen a Western movie, and if you haven't, go see a Western movie. There's some good ones out there. Um, Single action revolvers. So how they work is you pull back the hammer and then you pull the trigger. That's it. There is no safety on those. Now, if those of you who have seen a Western movie, you ever see where they like they they fast draw and they shoot really quickly by holding, you know, let's say holding the gun and then using the other hand to, to smack the hammer back, and then all of a sudden you get this rapid fire kind of thing going on. The reason why you can do that with a single action revolver, uh, those designs, is that if you keep this, the, the trigger squeezed, you can pull the hammer back and it will fire repeatedly. So pull back, fire, pull back, fire, pull back, fire, and you just keep your finger squeezed on the trigger. So when he pulled back that hammer and then let the hammer go, his finger had to have been squeezed on the trigger in order for that bolt to be fired. It's a two-step process. Two different things have to happen in order for that, that fire to happen. And if
if his finger was not on the trigger, which if which would mean his finger would have to be outside the trigger guard. And that trigger guard is that little loopy thing where the trigger's at and you have that little piece of metal that goes around. That's called the trigger guard. That's designed so if you drop a weapon or whatnot, it's a lot less likely for the trigger to be activated by hitting like a rock or something like that. That's why you have that guard there. So his finger had to have been inside the trigger guard where the trigger's located. And so when you, with that design of a single action revolver replicating an 1800s style revolver, when he pulled back the hammer, it would fire a bullet if the trigger was activated, meaning if it was, if it was squeezed. So that's my, my take on it. I know everybody has their own opinion and all these experts talking about this and theoretically and possibly and all this other shit, but you got to break it down real simple. And when I'm hearing these experts talk about that, the one thing that came to my mind is like, anybody who's ever seen a Western movie has seen the, the quick draw guy and he, he fires boom, boom, boom. And that's because he just pulls back the hammer with the other hand over and over and over again while his finger's on the trigger. So anyway, the other example is this uh, kid, Ethan Crumley, and over in the Detroit area, some area outside of Detroit, like I think it was Oxford High School, and his parents are dumbasses and decided to purchase a weapon and um, touting it around, and it wasn't secured, and it was just sitting in a drawer uh, with a loaded magazine, and he took it and shot up the school, and there's all this other shit behind it. But that also backs up my point, is that if we as a culture and we know we have a gun culture in this country really learn about these things use these things and actually get experience with these things that would be less likely to happen some guy just buying a firearm and um his very first one when he's like 40 years old and not knowing how to use it and how to store it and how to educate his son about it <laughs> Which I think is a whole other topic in itself, because you could t you could talk to yourself, talk about this until we're all blue in the face about it, and you know, might get somewhere, might not, but you know, there's a lot of things to be said about it, and I have my brief opinion about it. I don't want to get too in depth because it's hard to get all these talking points out when you don't have discourse with another person. Sorry about that. I gotta pause for a minute and I'll be right back. And I'm back. Um, sorry about that. Got a phone call from my wife about my daughter's gymnastics today and what time I need to pick her up. So, you know, family first, right? Um, so anyway, uh, the Ethan Cromley, you know, kind of my thought is, is it if that man's father was raised uh, with good parents in the home that actually taught his father about guns and gun safety and how to use them in education and, and using them and getting that experience would have lessened the chances of his son um, getting a hold of it and committing those shootings. And, you know, 
looks like these guys, the, these parents were really terrible parents. Um, they would reportedly leave him at home um, by himself when he was a little kid, why they went out and partied and all this other stuff. And it just, there is, it's unfortunate. It's a very unfortunate event. And, you know, parenting could have prevented this. And I think that's kind of where we're going to keep, you know, we have to take accountability, um, not only for our own actions, but we have to take accountability for our children. And they're facing involuntary uh, homicide charges. And to be honest with you, I fully agree with it. Um, I, I do agree that they should be held accountable. I do agree that they are responsible for it. Ultimately, their son pulled the trigger and did all this. However, their actions of raising him took, put on a big part of why this happened. And, but what I hate seeing is I hate seeing people automatically politicizing it about gun laws and storage and this and that and the other thing. Um, because it doesn't matter what, what laws you pass in whatever state about gun storage. You can't enforce that. You would have to have individual home inspections for everybody has a firearm. And there's probably people listening to this that are applauding that, like, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what we need to do. But I don't believe that's constitutional. Um, that's illegal search and seizure. It's in the Constitution. Uh, if you don't believe me, look at the fuck up. Um, so you have to, it's just about education. It's like we have this gun culture. So the only way we're going to remedy this these types of events happening is actually being educated about the fucking firearms. It's not about passing more and more restrictive laws. It's we have to change our culture around what's around around our surroundings. And so guns aren't going to go away. You better get used to it. And the best way to get used to it is actually learn about them and educate yourself about them. So if you ever do see them, you don't automatically get afraid that some guy is walking down the street open carrying or in a store open carrying. I see a guy open carrying. It doesn't bother me a bit. Um, some people, it freaks them out and they feel unsafe. Well, to be honest with you, um, if you ever see somebody open carrying, that's somebody that will protect you in the event of a bad guy robbing a store or this or that, he's gonna be the first one or she or bi a non-binary, I don't fucking know, will be the first person to actually try to help mitigate the situation. Um, you know, and, and the, I think a lot of people don't really understand that. Personally, myself, I don't open carry. Um, I, I think it's kind of senseless. Um, I do think that because there's a lot of people who don't know about guns and are been around them much and so they get scared of them, it does set a certain tone of being uncomfortable or if there was even a minor um, issue going on an argument, it is quick to draw a gun in, that situ in those situations of open carrying. Um, but I'm more of an optimist myself, thinking that if someone's going to open carry, they're very experienced in that, 
and the truth is not everybody is but i would think a high percentage of people who open carry are very diligent about the use of the weapon etc um, a lot of people in my area when they go horseback riding they always carry a firearm um, they're carrying the firearm to protect the horse is what they're doing because horses get very skittish um, certain things dogs things of that nature and if they're on a horse and the horse gets skittish that horse could actually freak out buck them off and trample them to death you know so they you have to be very precautious with uh, trail riding uh, outside your property because um, there's so many different things that can happen uh, horses are prey animals so you know coyotes wolves bears uh, mountain lions all that kind of shit around here uh, can be a potential issue um so i'll wrap that segment about guns up and i promise you i'm going to stop talking about guns um i've talked about it a few times and it's just i feel like i'm kind of beating it to death uh but i want to give you an instance that actually happened in my area in washington and uh, uh a guy shot and killed a suspected burglar uh and then he opened fired on the second guy um last week actually this happened two days ago so this guy he's from spanaway washington um, four o'clock in the morning, he's, you know, in the house with his family and two guys kicked in his back door and he shot at both of them and he killed one of them. And, you know, it's, you do have a right to protect yourself. Um, those guys, if they had weapons or armed or a knife or whatnot, you can cause just as much damage with a kitchen knife as you can with a gun. I mean, and that's all honesty. And <clears throat> he's not going to face any charges because it's a it's a self-defense case and he had every right to protect his home he had no idea what was going on he didn't know what they had if they had a, if they had weapons or not or or what have you so you know if criminals knew that every home was had a guy or a gal in it that would do the same thing as this man did in spanaway um that's a pretty good deterrent and that's pretty much all about say about that is that's a, a case in point right then and there um my area in western washington is getting very dangerous because of the politicians um caving into uh equity and equality and all this which i do believe in but i also believe that you know, if you steal something or if you rob something or you burglarize something, you should be held accountable and you should be, you know, facing um, a court case. So, you know, and the only other thing that I would say beyond that would be in Waukesha. You know, this guy gets out on bail on a thousand dollar bail due to policy of bail reform and bail reform is a really complicated subject because it's a cash bail reform which kind of sucks because you could have a credit card in your wallet get arrested or a debit card 
and they sent you a, a bail of $5,000. Well, that means you have to have $5,000 in cash in order to post bail for yourself. And I think a lot of that cash bail system has to do with uh, bail bondsmen. It's kind of a political thing because if, if you didn't have the cash bail system, a lot of these bond agencies would be out of business. So like you don't have $5,000 cash, but you have a debit card or a credit card you could charge it on. Well, you can't use the card. Um, you actually have the cash physically on you or else you have to post bail, whether someone comes down and brings a cash or you go through a bail bondsman, etc. And so this guy was released on a thousand dollars bond. He gets out um, and he was released because he actually tried to run over his girlfriend with a car. Um, I think she was pregnant, too. And then he decided to uh, drive into a parade of people. And I think six people or five or six people got killed and 48 got injured or I think it's 48 total. I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, a Ford Escape is a weapon of mass destruction. A car, a truck, an SUV, that's a weapon of mass destruction. He, he committed an act of mass destruction. You bring a pistol out with 16 rounds in a magazine, you only have the potential of hitting 16 targets. A car going at the speed of 20 miles an hour can potentially kill much more than that. And this guy achieved that. 50 people either got killed or severely injured in that parade. So it's just something to think about. Maybe think just more perspective of, you know, what is a weapon? Well, everything is a weapon. Everything. A ballpoint pen can kill somebody. You know, um... So it's just the person behind the object is what's dangerous, not what's in their hands or what have you. Let's see. Go back here. I wrote something down, noted something here. Um, I was born in 1982. And... Uh, Everybody's been talking about inflation. Well, something that really doesn't... Uh, I, I, correlations lately are weird. Um, my name's Brandon. The biggest slogan in the country right now is Let's Go Brandon, which at least I'm not being called a Karen, and that's being termed that way. Born in 1982, the inflation rate right now is 6.8%, which is the highest it has been since 1982. 39 years. That's how old I am. will be 40 in April. Um, I don't know what to say about that. You know, I don't... People are talking this and that. Oh, it's because of the, the, the stimulus package they, they're bringing in and all this other crap and we're spending money we don't have and it's adding to the deficit and all this other shit. No, it's, oh no, it's supply chain, supply chain, you know, um, uh, Crystal and Sager on breaking points are talking about, it's actually a container ship issue where 
we buy so much thing, so much stuff from China that they bring us full container ships. We have nothing to send back. We send back empty container ships, and then the process takes much longer, or the work is. This is what I think. When you shut down the world for a year, damn near, you're gonna have supply shortages. There's no one in the factories making things. And so the shelves get bare. The, the, the warehouses lose inventory. Things come off the shelves, things aren't being put back on. And that's how you get inflation. Supply, demand. We're still consuming, but we're not supplying. So less supply, the same demand, the prices go up. It also doesn't help that fucking Biden's a goddamn idiot and he halted the whole fracking situation when we were energy independent and I, I, I don't they say energy independent they, we were fracking a crap load of oil to where we weren't have we weren't having to outsource and purchase from other things we we're kind of pretty much independent from OPEC which when you say OPEC what OPEC is is like Saudi Arabia uh, the UAB which is our UAE which is United Arab Emirates you know all these oil producing nations like like the only thing they have in the country is oil production. That's it. That's their entire economy. But they're some of the richest nations in the world. And so he halted that. And then bitching about how price gas prices are, you know, in some areas four fifty, five dollars a gallon, you know, things like that. California, it's like the highest in the nation because California imposes their own state taxes that are sky high that makes the damn gas so fucking expensive because they don't want people using gas. However, they're shutting down their nuclear plants because they want to go clean energy, which nuclear power is the cleanest energy in the world and the most sustainable energy in the world and the most reliable source of energy in the world. But, you know, nuclear power bad, solar panels good, even though solar panels, like I talked about before, have so much hazardous toxins in them in the glass, you can't recycle it. So now you have this shit that you can't get rid of. And then you have these wind turbines who the blades have to be replaced every 20 years. And then you just get buried in the middle of the frickin' earth in the Wyoming or South Dakota because you can't recycle them. They're not recyclable. They want you to drive electric cars that are mined with conflict minerals from slave labor um, to build these cars and these batteries and a lot of these minerals and these batteries aren't good for the environment overall as well so that's why we have inflation i mean does anybody i don't understand why there's a debate why we have inflation you stop making things and you're sitting in your house and you have 10 widgets in the warehouse and people want 20 widgets so you sell 10 and you don't have any more supply and you're not making any more for six months and then you start making them again the demand is greater than the supply period you stop producing oil Gas prices go up. Doesn't matter if you if you release 50 billion barrels that President Biden did in order to alleviate the gas prices, which is only going to affect it by like 
less than 10 cents a gallon, it's still going to be up. So it's just going to take time for the prices to come back down. The only other price that's going to come back down is for us to get back to 100% production. And he is causing this inflation. He's making it worse, and it's going to last longer because of his vaccine mandates. People are quitting, and I don't care if it's only 5% of the workforce. That impacts production and the GDP substantially, where you are going to see even more inflation. So let's hope that um, these court rulings striking down the vaccine mandate, because it is unconstitutional, he can only mandate something through the act of Congress. He does not have the executive order to do so. And it's clearly that's what it is, but he's trying to sneak he's trying to sneak one around and hope everybody, you know, bites on it. Um, it's just never gonna end. The coronavirus, this this COVID thing, there's so many mutations, they're not it's just gonna continue to mutate. That's what viruses do. And so we have to live with it. Um, but mandates are not the way to go. And also, he did the travel. So Biden, on top of that, does a damn travel ban on some African countries because South Africa had the first uh, Omicron variant detected. And so everyone's talking about how racist Trump is, which literally didn't say a ra one racist thing ever, in my opinion. It was just talking out of context because a guy can't talk to save his life. He does his travel ban on these African countries. So who's really the racist? These African countries rely on tourism in order to, for their economy to function, primarily. And so he's in a cripple multiple African nations economies because of one little variant that came out that has very moderate to minor um, symptoms and it's like a couple sniffles and you might not feel good for a couple days and then you're over it and he's doing it just for politics you know and now the Omni variant is all over the world now and he's not putting um, travel restrictions on France. He's not putting, definitely not going to put travel restrictions on China. He doesn't want to piss the Chinese off, does he? Um, or the UK or, or any of these other countries. Any developed country, no travel restrictions. But the less developed countries where it can kind of be swept under the rug, he puts the travel restrictions on. So who's, actual, who's the actual racist here? I would say Biden's the actual racist here. You know, between his 1994 crime bill um, is the reason why there's so many people in prison right now for getting pulled over with an eighth of weed or, you know, a $50 bag of Coke and they're in prison for 10 years. That's the guy who did that bill. That's President Biden. Between that and these travel restrictions in Africa, I think Biden's the actual racist. That's just my opinion. So... Um, last thing I will talk about, which it's not really talk, it's just a question I have, and I'm, I'm really curious to, to get some other points of view, and, you know, I understand the BLM movement and, um, you know, e equity movements and things of that nature. What I do not understand 
is people's willingness and how they hold on to victimhood. Um, there's so many people that want to express how much, how victimized they are. But they, it seems like they don't want to, that they don't want to do anything about it. Um, I don't, I, I don't really get it because it kind of goes against my, my nature as far as feeling like a victim, um, being victimized. Everybody's been victimized in their lifespan. You know, I've gotten my ass kicked a few times. That's victimized, right? I've been taken advantage of, victimized. I've been, uh, fired from a couple of jobs, um, that, you know, had nothing to do with me, but I got thrown under the bus. That's being victimized. But I'm not holding on to that for the rest of my life. Um, there's so many things that's happened in my personal life that I consider, that can be considered victimization. But when you have, it's like people surround their entire character and, um, their whole self as, as being a victim. Like that's, they, they, they form themselves as a victim and it baffles me because it seems like it handicaps you. If you see yourself, um, as a victim of society, I think it only handicaps your potential, uh, and only handicaps your future. Because you start seeing things only through the lens of victimization. And I don't, you're, you're not going to succeed or further yourself in life by always claiming to be the victim. And that's what I'm curious about. I, you know, I, I read a book oh, about a year ago, I think it was. I had it on my Audible. Well, I didn't read it. I I listened to it on Audible, right? I mean, I'd love to sit down and read books, but who has that much time to read books? Ugh. Especially when you have two kids, a wife, and a job, and a this, and a that, and yard work, and this, and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I listened to audiobooks here and there, um, you know, while at work, or commuting, or whatnot. And I think it was by Malcolm Gladwell. I can't remember the exact name of it. I'm actually, I got a new phone. I don't have my Audible on it. I got to put the Audible app back on it and I'll come back and tell you the book because I highly recommend it. Um, it's a book about false, uh, false claims of, of racial victimization on how um, people stage attacks and things like this. And it was actually done quite a few years before the Jesse Smollett case, but that's a case in point right there. Um, he claimed to be a, a victim of racism and not just, you know, verbally, but physically. And the story comes out where, you know, two white guys with MAGA hats in downtown Chicago uh, said, oh, this is MAGA country. And you know, uh, beat him up and put a noose around his neck and threw bleach on, on him. Um, when I first heard that story, I was like, what? Chicago? Like, if, if you're going to stage that shit, you should be like in Oklahoma or, 
you know, Arkansas or some shit like that. But downtown Chicago? That made no sense. Like, has Chicago ever had a Republican mayor? Or, I, I wouldn't even think so. Or does Chicago ever had a Republican governor? The only Republican I know that came out of Illinois is Abraham Lincoln. Who also, you know, was the backbone of the 13th Amendment, by the way. But, so I was kind of like, weird... I didn't really, th I was like, that doesn't sound right. That was, that sounds really weird, but they didn't really pay much more attention to it. And, you know, just claiming false racist attacks, hate crimes. And so Malcolm Gladwell's book is really all about that, about these false hate crimes that are being claimed in universities, primarily actually in universities where it seems like nowadays um, a lot of people are, going there and really getting indoctrinated into a belief system rather than just being educated. Um, so I, I don't understand it. I've, I've been kind of wrapping my head around. And the only thing I can really think of is that in today's society, claiming, vic be, claiming to be a victim actually gives you a lot of power and a lot of hearsay and society right now. Um, if you read the news, it, a lot of it is just all about victimization, throwing slanderous terms around about racism and hate and and this and that, the other thing, uh, left, right, liberal, conservative, neocon, neolib, progressive, this and that, other socialist, communist, Marxist, etc., etc., etc. I don't understand why people want their identity surrounded by being a victim. Every person on earth has been a victim of something at some point in their life. It's just a matter of what, how, and the severity of it. And I, I want to kind of learn more about the psychology of victimization on why people tend to hold on to it and if the only thing I can think of like I said is they they're holding on to it to acquire power um, almost like it's a form of politics um, you see AOC doing it and she's getting a lot of political power you see Ilhan Omar do it and she's starting to get a lot of political power and I'm wondering if it's, do they really feel like victims and identify as victims? Or is it like a smokescreen um, to obtain power? And I feel like it's the latter, um, deep down inside. Like, that's one they can kind of come up with. Um, and it, another example would be that uh, the, one of the founding members of the uh, BLM, uh, movement. I think her name's like Patrice Colors or something like that. Um, you know, she's a trained Marxist, but then she used her trained Marxist ideology and all the money that she's gotten from the BLM organization to buy like three or four houses. Um, I mean, I that doesn't seem like much of a Marxist to me, but you know, that's just 
me, I'm a fucking idiot plumber. I don't really know shit too much about anything. Um, but that's kind of, that's where I pause and I'm just like rattling my brain. It's like just rolling. I, I want to learn more about it and it's going to maybe reach out to a few people and, and who are maybe more experts on this or read about, you know, read experts as far as what they say about victim victimization and all that and see what I can find out because it's something that needs to be broke. We need to break the victimization. Um, it's not progressive at all, in my opinion. It's actually regressive. And all the people who love playing the victim card um, label themselves as progressive, but in essence, if you think about it, it's actually a regressive um, attitude and stance. So, hey guys, uh, that's going to be pretty much it for today. Um, do me a favor. Um, been getting quite a, some decent downloads, um, quite a few followers so far. That's great. I really do appreciate it, but um, help me grow this thing a little bit, and why don't you talk about it with others, recommend it, share it, whatever you want to do. Um, again, uh, any input, give me an email at uh, followthemath at gmail.com. Would appreciate any feedback, negative or positive, um, and any resources for like what I'm talking about today. Um, much appreciated. You guys take care. I don't know if I'll be back next week because it is the holiday season. Um, took a couple weeks off due to just being super busy and also had a little bit of a cold. So I was feeling in the weather for a couple days, but I'll be back. Um, until then, take care. If I don't see you or, or if I don't see you, that's if I do not come back after the holidays, everybody have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Hanukkah, no, Hanukkah just ended. But anyway. For everybody out there, happy Hanukkah. I hope it was a great one. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.